0: Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Ada, And I'm Thibaut. Every two weeks, we interview top leaders, experts and top performers in B2B sales. And every other week, we'll share tactical tips and insights on how to start conversations, generate opportunities and close deals faster. We are on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever. Yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to submit your questions and guest suggestions, you can join the T-shaped sales community. It's a 10 euro month subscription, where you'll get access to one new tactical training every month, a community of sales reps, and exclusive events and discounts. Join today and get one month for free at www.saleslabs.io/tsc. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. Basically, what we're going to talk about first, I'd like to welcome you to this show. Uh, We do like plenty of things. So we have this show for the Selling Advantage community, but it's also going to be a nice recording for the B2B Sales Podcast. Um, And we're going to talk about why selling is so different now uh, compared to 10 years ago. So uh, David, can you maybe tell us a bit more about you, who you are, what you're doing, uh, so we can get to know more about you?
1: For sure. Yeah. So my name is David Pramer. Uh, I'm the founder and cerebral selling. And like everyone else, I got into sales by accident. You know, no one gets into sales on purpose. That's the running joke. Uh, I started my career uh, over 20 years ago, actually started my career as a research scientist of all things and ended up getting into sales by accident at the turn of the dot com boom ended up joining a startup uh, fell in love with sales from there almost like to me it was like a bit of an engineering problem, right with like the people and all these kind of complex variables fell in love with sales. And that journey took me to uh, four high growth tech startups Uh, Three ended up being acquired. One, which I helped start in 2008, was acquired by Salesforce. Spent five awesome years at Salesforce, seeing how the sales machines were built, uh, kind of operationally, culturally at scale. Ended up running small business sales for the Eastern US. But after all that time, I realized that, you know what? Like people love to buy stuff, but they hate talking to salespeople, right? I didn't like talking talking to salespeople. So I started a, a practice focused on helping people execute this amazing craft that we all love. But with the powers of science and empathy so they can do it in a very powerful way that doesn't make them feel gross
0: okay i love that i love that i think it's it's very uh, important thing like people love to buy stuff but they don't like to be sold to and uh i guess things have changed massively in the last, I don't know, 10 years, or even in the last 18 months, I would say mm-hmm. um, you were a Salesforce guy. So, so can you tell me what, what you learned from that? Because like, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I, I meet a lot of people from Salesforce and they have like all kinds of backgrounds and learnings, but how was the experience over there?
1: It was great. And look, you know, it's funny. I, I, I have this phrase that's top of mind cause I've been doing a lot of, uh, you know, content about this, but it's not for everyone. Okay, I'm I'm here to say it's not for everyone. It's a very intense sales-centric culture compared to other companies who might be more like product-centric or engineering-centric. It's a very sales-centric culture, very kind of big cadence to the business, not just like a monthly or quarterly cadence, but even just kind of the annual cadence of like we sell, sell, sell. There's a little bit of a break. We do a kickoff and then like back to selling. And I think to your question about like, what's so magical about Salesforce? I think that's one of their, their superpowers is that there's a real cadence to the business that like you can feel like you don't really ever stop. Um, you know, there's always a focus on selling and getting better. Uh, and that's not unique to Salesforce, but certainly in a lot of the organizations that I've worked in and for, especially, you know, the startups who are more kind of product and engineering and problem centric. Um, it's, it's definitely a, a little different. And so but it's an amazing experience, like you'll learn a ton and some really awesome people and leaders there. So have nothing but great things to say.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy how it grew and how central it is to so many businesses now. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've been using Salesforce. It's crazy how a lot of people are complaining about using it. There's even tools, actually, to help them, like Dooley, for example, to help the reps use with that. But it's central to uh, to an organization. If you want to be serious about sales, at some point, you have to, to have some of your data on Salesforce.
1: For sure. Well, look, I think it's also like a good example when you think about. And let me just let me like take an independent view here, because again, like I love Salesforce, but I didn't apply to work there. They acquired my company. I came over with the ship, and so it was kind of interesting having been a Salesforce customer to then be on the other side of it. And you know, it's uh, it's very interesting, kind of the way you kind of have an appreciation for what that experience looks like when you're you know on the customer side. The question is, why do people buy Salesforce? Right? Is it the best? Now, let, let me just kind of reframe. When I started Salesforce, there were 6,000 people uh, in 2012. And when I left five years later, there was 24,000 people. Now there's over 50,000 people, right? And when mm-hmm. I was there, like Salesforce looked generally unchanged. Like from the time I started using it, even before I was a customer, to the time I left, it kind of looked the same. So the question I would put is i said, say, okay, well, is Salesforce, is it the best looking CRM? Is it the most, you know, fl- fully functional, the most flexible, the cheapest? Or most affordable, like it's not any of those things, but how do they maintain this market leadership position? They do it for all sorts of reasons. They've been doing it for a long time. They have a lot of market momentum. They have all these products, they do so much good in the community, right? They lead with what they believe. And for Mm -hmm. those reasons, they're the market leader. And it's funny because you like we buy that. Even though there could be another CRM provider out there who might be a better fit for our business, who might be a little bit slicker, more you know, cost effective, have just the features and functions that we need. And the reason why we buy Salesforce in a large part is emotional, right? Like, well, well it's yeah. the standard. It's like they're the market leader. They're in the mar- magic quadrant, right? And, and the same thing applies for everything that we buy. We, everything we buy is emotional, right? It's not just based on yeah. the intrinsic value of what it is, right? So I think that's one thing that Salesforce does really well. And a lot of other companies can get better at, which is really uh, selling in a way that transcends the product.
0: Okay, I really like that. Um, I think it, it's just makes so much sense. And I think like, uh, there's this bias, like psychological bias that is uh, called, I think, uh, I don't remember like, but uh, like the social proof, like if every, if everyone else is doing it, that must be right. So, you know, I'm doing it. And so I think that uh, they're excellent at that.
1: For sure. Well, like when you think about when you buy something, and this is what I do, I, I know I kind of, you know, I, I kind of shortcut of this, but I, I, right now I help and train sales teams at high growth B2B technology companies kind of get in tune with these kinds of things. And one of the exercises I have people go through is I have them think about like, who is their ideal customer? And then I want you to like picture that person in your head. And then I want you to ask yourself, like, what is that ideal customer value? Meaning like when they buy you, what are the intangible feelings that they're buying? So Mm -hmm. for example, you might be the most expensive, fanciest solution on the market, but you put a ton of effort into making sure that those projects that you run are successful. So compared to another vendor that might have like a a better product, if the project needs to succeed and it's like a high risk, high reward that. I'm going with you. I'm willing to pay money to go with you because the cost of failure is high. And that's what I value. And value and business case are two completely different things. So asking yourself, what are those discretionary feelings that your people are who are buying, you are buying and then lead with that.
0: Okay. Love that. So I'm curious to know now, like uh, what's your experience about like the differences between selling right now compared to 10 years ago and I just, as a reminder, 10 years ago is 2011. So it's not like 1980s or whatever it's 2011.
1: So yeah. (laughs) Well, I wasn't selling in the 1980s. So that's, you know, that's, (laughs) but no, you know what, um, it's funny. Like when I saw, you know, you, you posted this morning about, you know, some of the things that are different, like there's more influencers now. And like, you know, the people are selling on LinkedIn and everything is virtual and like that stuff, I would say it's, you know, Forget 10 years ago, like you're going back a year, two years, you know, like now you're talking kind of, you know, pandemic selling to some extent, um, and these algorithms that keep changing. But let, let's go back for a second. In 2011, because you talked about 2011, because I talk about this in my book, the, the one, the, so there's a few things. Number one, the number of solutions on the market in any given category is just exploding. So for example, in 2011, in the marketing technology space, there were 150 vendors if you fast forward to 2020, now this is like a, a report that comes out every year, although they, they didn't do it for 2021, April 2020 was the last time. If you look at that marketing technology landscape, there were eight over 8,000 vendors in that space. And you look at the number of categories, like you look at like the gongs and the courses, like the revenue intelligence and all these, like that didn't even exist you know, 10 years yeah. ago. So the number of vendors, number of categories is increasing. And so now if you're a, a sales rep, you know, trying to sell one of these products, and you go out to a customer, I'll tell you something, I don't know if you, you found this, Tibo. when you look at something like a gong, okay, about half my customers use gong or chorus or like some kind of revenue intelligence, like, you know, yeah. uh, call analytics platform, half of them don't even know that that kind of thing exists. They're like, Oh, okay. like, there's a thing that listens to our calls, it'll tell us all the like, they don't even know, right? Yeah. So, because there's so many different categories, so many different solutions, you're now trying. And, and by the way, and then the other piece of it is that like customers we will talk about in a sec are more distracted, you know, preoccupied, attention starved than ever before. Never mind 10 years ago. Look, in the last two years, that's yeah. like a recipe for disaster. Because now I have to explain to you what I do and you may not even be aware of what I yeah. do. And there might be like a million other players in that space. Now you're like, oh, you know, what? like I just don't have the mental cycles to Give a crap about what it is you do anymore. I got my own problem. So that's that's the first thing.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, like, this, this, you know, maybe people are not even aware of the solution or or are they aware of the problem the solution is solving or or is there not even a problem there?
1: Well, that's the thing. You know, the question is okay, like, you know, there's a lot of issues around lack of recognition of the problem. And it's not that people are in denial, right? It's just a lack of focus. For example, One of the things I talk a lot about in my book and my content is this concept I call experience asymmetry. And just to kind of frame this up, one of the other big problems and why sales is different than it was 10 years ago is that the average, and this is kind of funny to say, the average age of a seller has decreased, right? So sellers entering the profession, you know, you know, this, if you're, you're working at a company or you have people on your team, that the people that you can get now are younger and less experienced for the same money as what yeah. you were getting ten years ago. You're getting more experience, right? Yeah. So now you take these younger sellers, and what's what the other kind of problem is that for a lot of technologies, we you know we don't necessarily at, you know if we're selling a piece of technology, we may not use it at our company. Like we're building technologies for I don't know uh, manufacturing equipment maintenance, and we're like, hey, look, we have a great yeah. solution, but like I don't I don't make anything. I don't have any manufacturing here. So what happens is. These younger sellers who are amazing and enthusiastic, right? And have all this, this drive. We end up connecting with these older, more experienced buyers whose job yeah. we've never done. And this creates an imbalance and that imbalance manifests in your tone of voice, right? In, in your approach. Yeah. So I don't, like I, when, when my kids come to me, I have three kids. When my kids come to me and they're about to, like, if you have, if people out there have kids when your kids come to you and they're about to hit you up for something that they know you're gonna say no to, right? They think you're gonna say no to, right? They wanna lift to the mall, they wanna wanna download an app and your immediate response is gonna be no. Think about how they approach you, right? Like they, you can tell just in their tone of voice. And so I found this actually at Salesforce where I had lots of these young enthusiastic sales reps, especially my reps in New York City who were like always hustled the most, make lots of calls. But then I would find these reps with lots of activity and like no pipeline. And yeah. I would start listening to their calls and I would just say, it sounds like like you're bothering this customer. Like it sounds like you were afraid that you're not adding enough value. So that's one of the other challenges is like you're get actually getting less of a, of a rep in terms of experience. And as yeah. these products get more sophisticated, it's harder for us to manifest the conviction we need to convert mm-hmm. customers.
0: That's very interesting. Like. I can totally relate. You know, when I started in sales, I was very nervous at any call, and uh, you could totally feel it in the voice. And as as experience goes, you know, like you just get more and more uh, calm. You you actually get more and more detached from the outcome. So y- your voice also changes. So what do you what do you suggest to uh, to these young reps or to people who are having working with with these young reps to get them to this. Uh, um to this level where they don't maybe know or have the experience but they can communicate in a way that is not let's say hurting the deal
1: for sure well like a lot of it just has to do with your your tone of voice and your approach like if you believe deep down inside that you are bothering the customer and wasting their time it's going to come out so what you need to do is you need to anchor your emotional state you actually do need to feel like you're adding value to the customer like you know so the first thing is sell products that you believe in Right, like number one. Number two is to kind of phrase your dialogue in the context of entities that have credibility. So for example, here's here's a big problem that a lot of young sellers fall into is they use what I refer to as I phrasing. So they say, yeah. oh, so you know, so Tebo, I work at Cerebral Selling and what I've seen and what I found and what I've heard. And it's like, no yeah. one cares what you think. Like, you know, like you're no one, right? Like and I say that in the, in the nicest possible, like you're no one, right? <laughs> so, so, So saying like, I think I found, you know, and sometimes I listen to even sometimes my clients calls, and I hear yeah. things like, "Oh yeah, so I've been here for a couple months." I'm like, "You know what? Now that you've told me you've been here for a couple months, like I kind of don't believe anything you said because you really haven't seen yeah. a lot." So part of the ch- part of the trick is switching your your I phrasing into what I refer to as we phrasing. So mm-hmm. you think about the things that have credibility in your business and in your industry. So you might say, for example our customers. So on day one of working at my company, I can say, well, you know, Tibo we work with, you know, we, we've been in business for the last 10 years and we work with hundreds of, of B2B technology companies like yours. And what we found is, and I can say that on day one, like I'm not talking about my yeah. personal credibility and just it leveraging the wisdom of the crowd. I can reference, you know, articles or studies that were in third party, you know, oh, did you realize in the uh, Tibo and the the National Retail Federation just put out a study and what they found was that. And so anyways, just framing your dialogue in the context of things that have credibility is very important yeah. And then just changing up also like your your pitch and this goes for everyone, not just not just uh, you know young sellers but you know oftentimes yeah. we, we tend to want to pitch the product and my whole thing is like don't pitch the product like pitch the problem, right pitch the feeling, lead with what you believe rather than what you do and you're immediately yeah. going to be able to manifest that credibility.
0: okay. I really like that. I think it's a it's a good way to uh, to kind of yeah. It's a very tactical way to uh, to be more confident. For me, I found mostly in prospecting um, is to mimic habits you have with people who you are very confident with. So, for example, a lot of people are let's say using uh, like voice note, for example, on WhatsApp. You know, to 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 talk and like. Often they just like use voice notes on the go while they're working, you know, working to, to go somewhere. And I always recommend if you're prospecting and let's say leaving voice notes, just stand, walk, get some background noise. So it's going to make you more confident and it's going to put you into a mind state where you are more confident because it's just like talking to a friend. And then, you know, a lot of training, a lot of practice, obviously, and that, that gets them to be a bit more confident or sound more confident.
1: Absolutely. Look, it's like anything else. If you're going to play a sport, you want to be relaxed. You don't want to be tense because people can, you know, never mind in the sport. But like when you're talking to someone, they can tell, like they can tell if yeah. you're afraid. They can tell if it's your month end and you're trying to squeeze them to get a deal done. Like People can people can tell they can feel these kinds of things.
0: Yeah. Sorry for the noise. I think uh, I'm just going <laughs> to. Leave it there. It's fine. Um, What about you told about the uh, there was a lot more younger sellers than before. Why do you think is that?
1: It's a good question. You know, know, probably because sales is becoming a much more accessible profession. Uh, The fact that there are so many solutions on the market and there's so many companies, meaning it's just a matter of supply and demand. Like there's a huge demand for sales talent. I don't know what you found. I'll tell you during the pandemic, I've seen a huge transition in terms of sales talent it is absolutely a candidate's market out there. there are so many companies looking for sellers and sales leaders. so just supply and demand right I need people the you know the people are getting younger um, and uh, and that that's what's available right now. I also think it's good that more people are actually getting into sales on purpose. you know I'd like to think that it's yeah. less of a thing that people get into by accident although it's still very much the case. And people are, are now choosing to get into sales profession. So um, those are the things. But I think it's still primarily like a supply and demand issue.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's crazy like how it switched. For me, I remember when the pandemic hit, everyone was like, there's going to be no more job, no more money, no more nothing. And now it's just like people are, you know, there's so many jobs. If you have uh, two legs, you know, uh, two arms, and you can speak <laughs> a specific language. Let's say in Germany, it's very, we have uh, another event coming uh, on Wednesday, where a guy found a way to actually uh, source some German-speaking reps. And so it's just like people are, are going crazy for, for finding these kind of things in the European market. But I think it's just crazy how the needs are here. There's so much money flowing, let's say, at least in tech sales. So there's, you know, like this uh, this, this huge demand. Do you think it's going to kind of balance at some point? or? What's the what's your feeling towards for the next I don't know two three years in terms of the market?
1: I don't see it balance. Like you know, what would have to change in order for it to balance out? Either there would need to be a huge influx of sales talent, or mm-hmm. a massive reduction in uh, you know solutions and companies being started. I think that you know there was some concern at the beginning of the pandemic, even really good companies. So if certainly, like some you know companies were being very cautious, and some companies were, yeah. were downsizing. Other than other companies were being cautious, especially in kind of the venture funded world where they were saying, hey, you know what, I don't know what the climate's going to be like in the next year. I don't know if I'm going to be able to raise money at the valuation that I want. So, mm-hmm. you know what, I think I might have to, you know, let some people go and kind of shrink a little bit just to, you know, play it safe. But yeah. none of that seems to, I mean, that th- th- that is now over and we're kind of like past that. So I don't think any of the, those things are materializing. So, no, I, I don't see this changing um, mm-hmm. in the near term by any stretch.
0: Yeah. I think it's just really good time to be in sales because you have, like, so much more money because so the market is is kind of finding, uh, you know, like, you get paid more and more for a job that, you know, it's, it's definitely not that great for employers because, as you said, they get people with a lot less experience. They have to pay way more. And what's crazy also is people are just, they don't want to work anymore. They, they, they don't want to work for someone anymore. They want to be full remote, uh, full flexible, uh, have nice pay. And I think that's very good. You know, I can see it, like, with the company of my wife is just very very good for employees mm. and uh it's it's interesting it's very interesting and i think that's also great for people like us because we have to train so much we have so much more <laughs> to train so i think it's great yeah
1: yeah it's not there's no short and by the way it's it, in there's a lot of young sales reps out there but there's also let's be fair like a lot of experienced sales reps who are now finding that they're having to unlearn some of the tactics yeah. that worked ten years ago, or that were 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 accepted or tolerable ten years ago, so there's definitely a, you know a mixture. Plus, also, I would add one more thing: is that when you, when you think about like selling, certainly you know you have bona fide sales reps with quotas that are you know cold calling and outreach and all that kind of stuff. But you also have a lot of like customer success reps. You have a yeah. lot of account management reps. People who never thought that they would be getting into sales, whose companies are now looking to them to help grow revenue. And they're saying, and this is actually, it's really interesting because they're saying to themselves, okay, I like to help customers and I like all that, but I don't want to sell. I got into this profession in sales or account management because I, I hate salespeople and I didn't want to be one of those people. And yet this is a motion that I'm being asked to execute. And actually I don't mind doing if it's helping the customer, but they're trying to figure out yeah. How do I do this in a way, like I said at the top of the hour here, like, how do I do this in a way that doesn't make me feel gross? Because I don't like the idea of selling. I like the idea of helping. So how can I do this in a way that makes me ethically feel, you know, complete? And so there's actually quite a lot of non-sales sellers in the market nowadays.
0: Yeah. I think that's that's also uh, often people are. I was talking about that with my wife today. Often people don't like the discovery part of the process, the early phase where you go for this net new logo and it, you just have to build this relationship. But there's a lot of selling, and actually a, a, a lot of companies are pushing on that, which is expansion, expanding an account, which is critical. Actually, is maybe even more important than new business, and that's how you make You know, you you, you have the retention plus expansion. I think it's super important. And this is so so different from this. For me, typically, I hate expansion or anything. I just like going through logos and uh, and just like doing a lot of new business, mm-hmm. feel great in there. And I hate doing expansion. But my wife, for example, is the exact opposite. She hates this new business stuff, loves the expansion. And I think that uh, there's a lot of interesting kind of opportunities there also.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. What else do you think is different from 10 years back now?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, number of solutions, you have younger sales reps also like, you know, I find because sometimes there's a lack of, um, you know, whether you want to call it good sales training or good content out there, one of the challenges is that even if, you know, we have a lot of conviction in what we're doing, uh, you know, and and we have a pain that our customers can solve, we go out there and we get stuck in what I refer to as the sea of sameness, meaning when we describe what we do, We're not doing it in a way that creates that compelling emotional reaction. And I'd say like, this is something that's, uh, you know, uh, been happening for some time. However, when you're stuck in an environment where there's so many different solutions in every category, you need to say something different, right? Like you and I, we train salespeople. Okay. That's what we do. Unfortunately, there's like a million people that do what we do. Right. So if we go out into the market and we say, oh yeah, we train salespeople at high growth B2B tech companies, then. Someone's going to smile and say, that's nice. Right. And then just, there's, there's a million of us. Right. So how do we break out of the sea of sameness? Well, look, so we create content and we help the community, but also a lot of it is wrapped up in in what it is we do in our personal brand Mm -hmm. and how we kind of, you know, position how we can help. So rather than, you know, and look, there's, there's sales trainers and sales content out there. That's all about like negotiating and closing and squeezing the customers. Right. But you know, if we think about simple statements like, "Hey, look, I I love to buy things, but I hate talking to salespeople," and I believe yeah. other other buyers feel the same way, right? I believe that if you want to be successful in the modern sales world, you have to use tactics that are rooted in science and empathy. And and you know, in all fairness, there's a lot of bad sellers out there who are not bad people. They're good people, right? They're just going yeah. out there and they're executing. So I, I'm just doing all this on purpose, where like I'm I'm saying these things in a way that doesn't sound like someone else, right? So yeah. kind of really hitting my customers in, a, in a, like an emotional way that's very authentic, right? But it doesn't sound like someone else because there's a million, for example, in the financial services sector, there's a million services out there that say, oh, you know, Tebow, like we can provide world-class service at very low fees. Like everyone says that, yeah. right? So you need, yeah. to, you need to break out of the sea of sameness and that's something that definitely a lot of sellers compared to 10 years ago are getting stuck in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What do you suggest to get out of this? Is there any specific tactical tips you have?
1: Well, you know, like the easiest stuff, I uh, just say, like, when someone asks you what what you do, like, oh, Thibaut, what do you do? You have to have a good answer. And it can't sound the same as everyone else. So one of the the tactics I I talk about um, in my book and and my my website, but I'll tell you the website, but it's all Mm -hmm. free and ungated. um, As I talk about using, for example, the words love and hate in a sentence. To describe what you do, I call these polarizing statements. So, like this example of people love, you know, they love to buy things, but they hate talking to salespeople. You know, men love to dress well, but they hate to shop. You know, people love feedback at work, but they hate performance reviews. All these are yeah. good examples of like how we can describe what we might do in a way that's more emotionally charged and sounds different than someone else. But to do that, you need to really be in tune with your ideal customer and like the things that they think okay. about. But that's one of the easiest ways.
0: So it could be something for me. I help uh, outbound reps who hate, uh, you know, I, I help inbound reps who hate doing outbound uh, generate more opportunities. could be something like that.
1: Yeah. You know, we look, we yeah. all want to drive business. We love driving business, but we hate doing outbound calling. And we hate the fact that people are asking us yeah. to do this. There must be a way of generating business without having to do all this outbound stuff. This is, yeah. this is where I help. Now, look, by definition, that's exclusionary. So if you have an organization who wants to do more outbound calling or reps who have been tasked with outbound calling they don't have a problem with it, well, then you're not for them.
0: Like, that's yeah. okay. Exactly. Yeah, that's also this thing, understanding that you're not for everyone. For me, it uh, took me a while, but uh, now I just really love it because it's really clear and you have this specific success that you can uh, you can generate. So I think that's great. Do you have some uh, suggestion to help Says people sell better in this a day and age we have in 2021.
1: Yeah, well, you know, like, let if you want to get really, really micro, there's a an article I wrote that turned out to be quite popular. It's called How to Sell During Periods of Adversity. If you just if you just Google selling during adversity, I think it's the first thing that comes up. Interestingly yeah. enough, and one of the things I talk about is that especially now, people will remember when they're having a tough time. Let's say you're trying to sell into like a, an industry that's been hit by the pandemic or you know people that have been hit hard people will remember how you treat them. It's actually like a, like a, a biochemical reaction that when mm-hmm. we are in periods of adversity, our brains are almost like hitting the record button. Like you can remember yeah. in your life, all of the times that you were in danger or like something bad happened because it's, it's evolution's way of helping you remember how you got out of that situation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by helping you remember, if you find yourself in that situation again, it's kind of the the biochemical blueprints to get out. But what that also means is that if our customers are having a tough time and they're looking for help, and we treat them poorly, we treat them like jerks. Yes. If we pressure them, if we say the wrong things, like they will remember, right? Yeah. So very important, especially now, especially now, when customers have all of this choice and there's all these solutions, and they're more distracted than ever before. To treat them well. Right, the golden rule: treat them as you would yeah. like, you know, to be treated yourself. So I'd say, like, that's number one. Also, and I, we kind of just, we kind of just touched on this, is like realize that you can't help everyone, right? And even the people that you could have helped uh, a year or two years ago, maybe you can't help them anymore, or maybe there's other people yeah. that you can particularly help. So really focus your time on people you can help, and then also realize that the things that your customers value now versus, let's say, yeah. a couple years ago, have changed. So the example I give is, let's say i work for a hospital and my job was to buy masks and gowns and gloves and personal protective equipment if we were kind of in the pre-pandemic phase and you asked me well what david what's important to you i might say well a price we have you know hospitals don't have infinite budgets we need mm-hmm. to stick to the price you know delivery time frame ah whatever we have enough as long as it gets here it's fine and then quality like it's got to be you know good enough but it it's okay. It doesn't have to be the best. Yeah. Now, like fast forward six months later, we're in the middle of a pandemic. What do I value? Price? No. Pr- whatever it costs. Like you know, you see companies uh, governments around the world spending trillions of dollars to to mitigate the effects of the pandemic. So I don't care about yeah. price anymore. Quality needs to be top quality and delivery timeframe. It needs to be here yesterday. So the thing I yeah. would say to you is like thinking about the things that your customers value now versus what they valued a year ago. Because if you're still going out with a pitch that you had a year ago, and you actually saw this in the mainstream as advertisers change their commercials that you would see on TV based on what was going on in society, like they would have to adapt. If you're still yeah. saying the same thing that you did a year or two ago, then it's probably wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So like keeping up with what your customers value, is very important.
0: Okay, okay, like that. And so we talked about the difference between that last 10 years and and, you know, now. What do you think in the next uh, 10 years, how do you think sales will be different?
1: Well, I think, you know, one of the things that you're seeing a lot of, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to prognosticate on, you know, is it going to, people going to respect sales or there's going to be more people in it. But definitely like when you look at the amount of sales technologies that are out there, you know, one of the things that salespeople are always trying to figure out is how can I be more efficient to your point? You know, everyone loves to, you know, to, to extract insights from the CRM but they hate updating it right here. There's a good love, hate for you. Yeah. So there's all these tools like the Doilies of the world, but then you also have like the gongs of the world. Like there's, you know, the outreaches and so on, there's all of these tools out there that are designed to make the experience of the sales rep more efficient while also surfacing to them, like insights and analytics and so on that can help them get better at their jobs. And I, I only see that improving. So I think for the sales reps who are mindful and are taking advantage of these technologies, they'll absolutely have a huge advantage in terms of being able to achieve a certain amount of speed and scale right and yeah. personalization to their customers that other people who don't really you know dive deeply into these technologies they won't have that advantage and 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 you're seeing it right in the last few years how much these things have advanced i think it's going to it's g- even going to get get more so in the next 5 10 years and and people really need to take advantage of these kinds of things
0: Okay, so definitely a lot more tools and uh, ways to to sell better, to understand our customers and uh, prospects better.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I think there's also going to be like a bit of a, what I refer to as like an authenticity revolution, mm-hmm. you know, where people are going to kind of demand that the brands and sellers that they, you know, connect with and buy from are like authentic. And you already actually see this. There's a, a lot of studies like the Edelman Trust Barometer, Earn Brand Study. Like these are things that come out every year or two that look at, you know, what do buyers actually value when they make purchasing decisions? And yeah. a lot of it re- now relates to like belief-driven, authentic, even you know, there's a, a certain percentage, 40% of buyers admitted to purchasing a brand because of the way that brand responded to a societal issue during the course of the pandemic. And this was like in June okay. of 2020, early on, right? So there's a, a huge focus on authenticity. Okay.
0: Okay, great. So before uh, we wrap up, so for anyone who is listening to us, if you have questions, drop them in the chat. And while we are waiting for your questions, if you have any, can you maybe tell us a bit more about uh, where people can get in touch with you? You talked about your book. So can you tell us a bit more about how can people learn more about you?
1: Yeah, so if you're interested in the book, the book is called Sell the Way You Buy, uh, a modern approach to sales that actually works even on you. And you can get that on Amazon. It's probably the most popular place. And if you feel like listening to six and a half hours of me reading my own book, it's on Audible (laughs) as well. Uh, So that's the book. And you can get that anywhere you buy books. Uh, My website is called cerebralselling.com. It's all one word, cerebralselling.com. Um, I also have a YouTube channel by the same name and everything is is free. Maybe that's a stupid thing, but it's free. <laughs> it's ungated, uh, with all sorts of content on everything I've I've spoken about today, messaging, discovery, objection, handling, negotiation, all in kind of this science and empathy-based framework.
0: Okay. So the cerebralselling.io or dot com? What, what .com. Was the... Yeah, cerebral okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, then the YouTube channel, Cerebral Selling, and the book Sell the Way You Buy, basically, on Amazon. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'll put all the links in the show notes for people to actually go and, and check that. Um, and if people want to hire you for training, where where should they go?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can get in touch with me on my website, cerebralselling.com, or you can hit me up on LinkedIn, or you can send me an email. I'm just David at cerebralselling.com, and uh, we can connect from there.
0: Okay, perfect, great. Really happy you could come uh, on the show.
1: All right on, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tibo. It's great to connect with your uh, community here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, David, and uh, talk soon then. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to that episode. If you like what you hear and you wanna explore more, I invite you to join the Selling Advantage community. It's a paid community we're running with Skip Miller, where you're going to get access to a content library with training, checklists, and exclusive resources. You'll also get access to our experimentation swipe file and a Discord group with 150 Texas people. We also have online events where we invite special guests, a regular Ask Us Anything, and our content is focused on sales for North America and EMEA. If you want to check it out, go to sellingadvantage.io or click on the link in the show notes, and you'll be able to sign up.